0: Welcome to episode 13 of Continuous Quality Compliance. Today I'm talking about Regulation 9, Person-Centered Care. CQC's intention for this regulation is to make sure that people using a service have care or treatment that is personalised specifically for them. The regulation also describes the action that providers must take to make sure that each person receives appropriate person-centred care and treatment that is based on an assessment of their needs and preferences. They're looking for providers working in partnership with the person, making any reasonable adjustments, and providing support to help them understand and make informed decisions about their care and treatment options including the extent extent to which they may wish to manage these options themselves really what you want to do is when you are providing treatment and it's person-centered but also make sure the person retains their independence as much as possible providers also have to make sure that they take into account people's capacity and ability to consent. And that either they or a person lawfully acting on their behalf must be involved in the planning, management and review of their care or treatment. So, for example, I am usually act as an advocate for my in-laws. So when I'm with them and I'm speaking on their behalf, And with them, I always make sure that they understand what the care and treatment is is being proposed. They understand what it is and they make an informed choice. And ask a lot of questions which they may not think about asking, get the answers and I give that information to them in the language they understand. Providers must make sure that decisions are made by those with the legal authority responsibility to do so but they also have to work within the Mental Capacity Act uh, which includes the duty to consult others such as carers, families and or advocates for appropriate. So person-centered care it means you also have to take into account the mental capacity of the person. CQC says the care and treatment of service users must a be appropriate B, meet their needs and C, reflect their preferences. When they're doing A, B and C, they also have to meet regulation 11, consent. So with this regulation, what they're looking for is collaboration with the patient and the person providing the treatment. And it's about you, designing the care or treatment based on what the service user's preferences are and ensuring that their needs are met. It's about enabling and supporting relevant persons to understand the care or treatment choices available to the service user. And that's really important, but I always make sure that when I am there with my uh, in-laws and we have a a hospital appointment, I make sure that we know all the choices that are available to us, and that my in-laws can then make an informed decision based on the different choices they have. And the person who's doing the treatment, They need to be a competent healthcare professional. And obviously they have to understand the balance of risks and benefits involved in any particular course of treatment. So a good example of this was when I went to hospital for an appointment, Uh, it was felt I needed a certain procedure. I was told all the risks and the benefits and then it was my decision to consent or not consent. I did consent once I knew all the balance of risks and benefits I would get if I went ahead handling the procedure, and that's important. And it's also about enabling and supporting the relevant person to participate in making the decisions, as I just explained. Um, for In order for them to make the right decision, you do also have to make sure you're giving them enough information which is appropriate and relevant so that they can actually make an informed decision. It's no use giving them information, but it's not enough for them to make a decision and then they just ask you to make it. That's not right. So you should be telling them all the risks and you should be telling them the different treatments available if they've got a few different options. Then it should be for them to decide. The thing that CKC says is, when a person lacks the mental capacity to make specific decisions about the care and treatment, and if there isn't a, a person appointed, then you need to make sure that you make what they call a best interest decision. And you really have to make a note of this, that you've made a best interest decision, and you have to show that you factored in the best interest of your patient. You also have to show that you're making reasonable adjustments um, to enable the service user to receive their care or treatment. A good example of this was when I had my procedure, and the, the setting for the, <laughs> the bench or chair that I had to sit on wasn't, um, it. Uh, let's say, it was adjusted to a standard size of person. I'm very fatigued, and it just wasn't right, and I was really uncomfortable, and I made it known that. I, I was really uncomfortable and they had to do something about it. Um, so I couldn't endure it. And they did and they changed it. And they could see when they had a good look; they could see that it, was, you know, it just wasn't set up for a petite person. So they did change it and they made the reasonable adjustments until I was comfortable enough to carry on with the procedure. Obviously, it was also my responsibility to tell them that I was really uncomfortable rather than just enduring it. So I think people have to understand you know they have some responsibility as well. When you are taking assessments you have to look at the current legislation as well and consider any relevant nationally recognized evidence-based guidance as well. There's so much um, growing technology and growing understanding in different treatments that the expect People who are undertaking treatments to always be having continuous personal development to see what the the latest evidence based guidance is. You also, when you are doing care and treatment, seekers also want you to look at the person's emotional, social, cultural, religious, and spiritual needs. That's not going to be appropriate in every care setting, but if they're with you for a while, going to have a long-term treatment with you then you do need to look at certain aspects of it. I do realise that you know cultural, religious and spiritual needs doesn't come into if you're having a a quick 20 minute treatment but if you're having um, a long-term patient uh, care and treatment then I think you do need to look at the emotional side of things. They're also looking for you to take into account specific issues, Um, that could be common in certain groups of people. Uh, These could be diseases or conditions. So, for example, uh, things like continence support needs for people with dementia, um, diabetes in certain ethnic groups, so that sort of thing. And when you do do assessments and if you have an assessment protocol, it's really important that providers are reviewing their assessments regularly and making sure they're the most up-to-date assessments. Um, it's even more important if you are transferring your um, patient between different services. So it's really important for example in uh, a healthcare scenario where you can have a person moving from uh, say your care home to a hospital or from a hospital to a rehabilitation unit. It's important that the both parties are talking to each other and they've reviewed the goals for the person and the outcomes that the person needs. But for those uh, also, you know, in a care setting where you have got different areas working together, it's hoped that you would be having multidisciplinary assessments and that all the relevant team staff and services are working together to make sure the person has person-centered care. I've seen this done really badly in hospital when my father-in-law went for um, a procedure. He went for a knee operation and other things happened and then another specialty got involved but instead of treating him holistically as a person they were just talking about their specialty, did this, and they didn't get involved. And actually, in the end, that had to be made a complaint because it just was not handled well at all. So, when you've got those scenarios, when you've got different specialties working together, make sure you treat that person holistically. Make sure it is person centered care. Put yourself in their shoes. How would they feel? thing you have to remember if you do provide nutrition and hydration as part of your service then you have to make sure that those needs are fully met if you don't they just tell cqc that it's not something you provide they'll know it from the type of service you say you're doing and it's fine and uh, as i've said before person-centered care does need to look at the mental capacity of the person and you have to show how best interest decisions have been made if the person lacks capacity. So it's important that your staff are trained in the mental capacity act. And you have to make reasonable adjustments and all those things. So, but I always say to think about person-centered care and if you're looking at it, do the patient pathway, step into their shoes, see how it feels See what your experience is like. If you don't like the experience, then probably it's not the best pathway and have a look at it again. Tweak it, redesign it if you have to, and then go through that again. So that's called plan, do, act cycle. So if you're thinking of making a CQC application, you can go and buy my book on Amazon. It's called Outstanding. And it has all five-star reviews. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review the podcast. Do subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes.